Well, I don't know about you, but I had a hard time coming up with something that I didn't like to eat. And we had a real discussion about that. You know, why is it that when you're young, you're like, I don't like broccoli, I don't like lima beans, I don't like this, I don't like that. And then the adults, how many of you had struggled to come up with something? You know what it is? We don't make ourselves eat anything we don't want to anymore, right? We don't, we don't really experience that anymore. We don't experience this feeling of, I don't want to eat that. Because if you don't want to eat it, you don't make it. Isn't it great being an adult? That's awesome. I was one of those kids when I was growing up, buddy. You had to clean your plate. Same thing, okay, for you all? Yep. Anybody ever have soup beans? Who's had soup beans sometime in their life? Who says, I've never heard of such a beast? Oh, there's a few of you. Yeah, soup beans. Ask somebody that raised their hand what that was like. It was a regular meal at my house. It just involved beans and bread. That's pretty much it. If you were lucky, butter. But... Um, So some of us enjoyed that, but most of us didn't. Well, let's see if you can figure out at what point do you think you can finish the rest of this story. Okay? You ready? If you think you can finish, raise your hand. I won't call on you, but I'm just curious. All right? Who can finish? In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Any hands? Okay. Okay. You find the fun and snap. Oh, we have somebody. You got it? You think you got it? Oh, they think they've got it. The job's a game. Okay, who thinks they know? Who thinks they know? Okay, we'll see if you're right. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake. Who knows now? Who knows now? Okay. Some people aren't raising their... Steve, did you give up? You just got it. I have to raise my hand. I got this thing nailed. Okay. A lark, a spree, and it's very clear to see that. Can anybody sing it? Ah, there it is. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down. You know that song? A spoonful of sugar. I'd like to do that Dick Van Dyke, you know. I'll come out and do these crazy things that he does, you know. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine come down. Who knows it now? Who knows it now? That is uh, the Mary Poppins story, right? Have you watched that like in the last ten years? Oh my goodness, it's so boring. Get on with the cartoon. Good gracious. We watched this movie recently. Um, what was the name of it? Somebody about Walt Disney? Mr. Banks, yeah, yeah. So we watched this Saving Mr. Banks, and we're like, oh, we've got to watch the movie now. We've got to watch the movie. And I remember watching it as a kid and just loving it. And for those of you who are offended that now I said Mary Poppins is boring, you'll just have to get over it. But we watched the movie like the next night, Mary Poppins, and wow, that was long. It was, we are spoiled people. Let me tell you, SpongeBob has done us dirty. So a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I'm overcoming a cold, okay? You probably can tell. Maybe you will by the end of my time. I'll hopefully have a voice. But all this week, I've been taking medicine, okay? And, you know, I'm just like, it got me thinking. I don't know what this medicine is they were taking, but they were mixing like a spoon full of sugar. Can you imagine how sweet this really was? That's not really my point. But it's just interesting. It's interesting to me. I want to talk today about uh, what some of us do sometimes to the gospel. And I think it, it traces back to this idea that I gotta make it better 
than what it sounds. And a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. And so, the way that we view the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, the way that we view it is kind of revealed by how we need to change the message to make it seem more attractive. And that is a dangerous place to be. And I would say it is another gospel. And Paul said, if somebody preaches another gospel, they are to be accursed. And that means damned to hell, is what it means. So we must be careful. We must be careful in our understanding of what the gospel is and how it is that we portray what God has offered us. I mean, what's the sugar? If, if heaven and God is the medicine, what's the sugar? What is it that makes it easier to go down? I mean, is it that you'll just, all your sins are wiped away? Well, that's true. Is it that there'll be streets of gold? The Bible speaks of gold, okay. Is it that if you follow Jesus, all your problems will go away? Really now? Is that the sugar we're going to mix into the gospel? Is it that you will be prosperous? You know, the largest, quote, church in America preaches this message this morning for 22 and a half minutes. He'll walk up front and he'll preach this message. And he takes sugar and he mixes it in with enough truth to, to maybe call it a sermon, maybe. And he'll mix it all together and try to make it easier to go down. Listen, the sugar in the gospel, the sugar in the gospel is God Himself. It is God Himself. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. What the gospel offers us is relationship with Christ. Is relationship with the Lord. It's Francis Chan that said this, if you got to heaven, if you got to heaven, and you land there, okay? I don't know if you land in heaven, but you get the idea. You're in heaven. And there's all your loved ones that passed on. My mom, my grandmother, they're there and I see them. They're there. They're, you're walking on streets of gold. And there's no more tears. There's no more sickness. There's no more curse. All that is gone. You're in a perfect resurrected body. Can you picture it? You're in heaven and everything that, that you can imagine is there. And then somebody walks up to you, you know, to make all the other jokes that they tell in the world. It's St. Peter, okay? I don't know. Somebody walks up to you and says, hey, glad you're here. Good news. All this is yours. Bad news. Jesus isn't here. Francis Chan says, would you want to stay? Would you want to stay? What the gospel offers is Christ. That's what the gospel offers. Jesus promised difficulties. Jesus promised persecution. Jesus promised His presence. Jesus promised victory in our spiritual life. But He didn't mix any sugar. Go to your Bible, Luke chapter 16. Luke 16 is where we're going to be this morning. That's our passage. We're going to land there, bounce somewhere else, and come back. Luke 16. We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. 
We've just finished up the first 16 and a half chapters, and we're halfway through chapter 16. Next week, when we're meeting at 1045, we're going to look at another one of the great stories that that Jesus shared. It's the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's not actually labeled a parable, but most people believe that it is. We'll look at that next week. But today we're looking at this small number of verses between the parable of the dishonest manager, the shrewd manager that we looked at last week, and then right after that, this story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in between, we have Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. Let's see, read what it says. In verse 14 of chapter 16, it says this, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, What are you a lover of? Literally, this is, they are friends with money. You've heard of Philadelphia, the the city of friendly, uh, brotherly love, right? This is brotherly love with money. That's what it means. They're lovers of money. They heard all these things. Now, what did they just hear? They just heard what Jesus just said in verses 1 through 13. The summary statement is the very end of verse 13. You cannot serve God and money. That's a summary statement of what Jesus has just said. They heard that. They're lovers of money. And so they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Can I tell you that that phrase is probably one of the most confusing phrases in all the New Testament? What does that mean? Everyone is forcing their way into the gospel. But it is easier, it is easier, he says, for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Then he says in verse 18. Now I want to say a word about verse 18 before I even read it. Verse 18. I found that what verse 18 is saying is one of the areas in our American culture where people are quickly hurt. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about remarriage. I won't have time to develop it all this morning. But you need to realize that Jesus had more to say than this one verse about the issue. And we will see in the broader context of that he's making a point to the Pharisees. Okay? So don't let these next words sting you unnecessarily. Here's what he says. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, what he's, what he's saying to the Pharisees. And, and to kind of warm you up to it, I want you to keep your finger here. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to take just three minutes and look at something that Paul has to say as a warm-up to what Jesus is instructing the Pharisees on. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 3 to 5. If you don't have your Bible, you can just hear it. It'll make sense to you, I believe. Paul is talking to the believers in Thessalonica. He had been there for a short amount of time, like probably about a month. And he was driven out of Thessalonica. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16, 17, 18, in that area. He's driven out. And as he left, 
he left behind him a whole group of believers. People who put their trust in Jesus. He'd been with them for a short amount of time. He gave them not under the gospel, but his very life, he says. He poured his life into them for a short amount of time, and then he had to get out of town. He had to run for his life. And while he's gone, he gets word that the church there is coming under attack, as the church often does. Not the building, but the believers often come under attack, and they are. And so Paul is called upon to defend his ministry, to defend himself. Look what he says in verse number 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God. I want you to see, now this is so important because we're going to go back to the Pharisees and we're going to see this played out. Paul says, our appeal to you, the gospel did not come with error. Error here means what you might think it means. It means to be incorrect. It means to be wrong. We brought you truth. We brought you truth. But then he says this, it did not come with you with error or impurity. Now what is impurity? Impurity is almost always, is, I, I don't want to say always because I'm not absolutely sure of that, but it's just about exclusively tied to sensuality and sexual sin. It's almost exclusively tied to sexuality. So he says, we didn't come with you, we didn't come to you with a message of error or a message that dealt with sensuality or sexuality, or he says, any attempt to deceive but we have been approved by God. I want you to see what Paul was trying to show them. False teaching, the false gospel, has always been, and it is today, and likely always will be, tied to two particular sins. Two particular sins. One is tied to sexuality. False teaching is almost always tied to sexuality. And secondly, it's almost always tied to a desire, a a desire to cheat people out of money. Paul says, we didn't come to you that way. We didn't come to you, and he goes on to say, we took nothing from you. We We did not come to you to try to manipulate you to give us your money to fill our pockets. We did not come to manipulate you with sex, for sex. We didn't come that way. We came approved of God. Now that's what Paul lived out. And that is exactly what Jesus is addressing in Luke chapter 16. Go back there and let's pick this thing apart. Luke chapter 16. Really what we're talking about here. We're looking at the prosperity idol, okay? Jesus is going to deal with the prosperity idol, okay? We've been in the context, go to the next slide for me. We've been talking about stewardship. This whole chapter deals with that. The responsibility to acknowledge the Lord as owner of our all and to manage all the resources of life. We said that is our time, that is our talent, that is our abilities, that is our gifting, that is our opportunities, that is our relationships, that is our funding, that is our money, that is everything we have. 
We are called as stewards to manage all that for the glory of God. This is what Jesus has been saying. And then he said this, I think one more slide. He said, you cannot serve God and money. And then in verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, they heard these things and they are ticked off. It says they ridiculed him. Literally, it is, it is actually, they turned up their nose. That's what it means. That's literally what, they, what the phrase means. When the Pharisees said this, when they heard this, you know the expression. And they hated him. Why? Why? Can I tell you, this, this, is, this might shock you. The Pharisees and their teaching, they were the forerunners of the prosperity gospel. They were preaching the prosperity gospel 2,000 years ago. And Jesus here is nailing them on it. You see, they loved money. They loved money. Jesus made it very clear that the love of money is what? It's the root of evil. Now, not money. Let me just say, if God has blessed you with money, that's not wrong. That's not wrong. You're called to be a steward of that. If God has blessed you with an ability to have relationships, you just are one of the people that just connect with a lot of people. That's not wrong. You're to be a steward of that. If God has blessed you with an ability or a gifting to to be used in His church, that's not wrong. You're to be a steward of that. If God has blessed you with relationships, can I tell you that one of the reasons why we are so blessed here at this school is the relationship that is fostered with the administration. Is that wrong? Is it wrong that when people from our church come in here, it's like, hey, how you doing? They're slapping five with the faculty and shaking hands and you know, asking, is that wrong? Of course not. We've got to be a good steward with that. Same deal with money. But I want us to see what Jesus said about money, and I want to contrast it with what the Pharisees taught about money. Because money is an idol, and we've got to watch out for it. First of all, Jesus said that love of money is the root of all evil. And they hated that message. I'm not, I won't take time to turn to these passages. It takes too long. But listen to what Jesus said about money. In Matthew 13, he said, The deceitfulness of money chokes out the word of God. Remember that? The seed fell among the rocks and the thorns, and the deceitfulness of money choked out the seed. So our, our love and desire for money will press out God's working in our hearts. Because we want money, because we want the things that money brings us, we will press away what God has to say. We will press away the teaching of the Lord. We will press away the the fellowship with the brethren. Because of our love of money, Jesus says, it chokes out the Word of God. And we've all seen this in people's lives. We've seen it. We've seen the person, the, you know, there was a time you would say the man, but now it's man and women. It's all of us. It's everybody. And they work hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. And it chokes out. Jesus says, watch out for that. 
It chokes out me, Jesus says. It's very dangerous. Matthew 19, Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Say, what does that mean? It means it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know how big a needle is, right? You know how big a camel is, right? Giant. It's easier for the camel to go through that eye than for a rich man. What does that say? That our love of money will keep us from the gospel. I mean, it's just all through Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 23, Luke 6. Jesus says that for the rich man, his riches will be his comfort. Luke 12. I mean, it's all through the gospels, you guys. That Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil. I'll also say this, that Jesus himself, the Pharisees not only hated his message, but they hated his life. You know why? Because Jesus had nothing. Jesus had nothing. He said, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay down his head. That's what, that's what Jesus lived. That's what the disciples lived. That's what most of the church throughout history has lived. The message of the gospel, what the gospel is and what it means to be a follower of Christ, should transfer to any time and any place. What you and I are following and what God is doing in our life, it should work in China, it should work in Ethiopia, it should work in West Virginia, it should work in any year. And Jesus' overall message, as I have it there, was to invest our resources for the glory of God. Let's talk about the Pharisees. Here's why the Pharisees were the, the, there's an amazing connection. They were the forerunners of the prosperity gospel. And it boiled down to this. The Pharisees taught that if you were a good boy, if you honored God, if you pleased the Lord with your life, you know what God promised to do? He promised to bless you with wealth, health, and success. That was the message of the Pharisees. I'll just pick one of them for, for sake of time. John chapter 9. There's a man born blind. Remember him? Jesus heals him. Does it on Sabbath. Makes the Pharisees mad. The Pharisees drag the guy before them in this like kangaroo court and they question him. Okay? And, they, and the, the question of the day, the question of the thinking was this. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Who's the sinner here? Is it the blind guy or his parents when he's in his womb and so he suffers for their sin? It reveals what the Pharisees, what the, what the popular teaching of the day was. If you follow God, if you, whatever their version was, live out the Ten Commandments, I don't know, if you sacrifice, if you, if you obey the law, if you memorize the law, whatever it is, if you do it, You will prosper with wealth, you will prosper with health, and you will prosper with success. That was the message of the Pharisees, and it's no different than the message of popular Christianity today. And I fear 
that maybe it works into our hearts. And it looks like this in your life. You know, things don't go quite right. Right? Like your, your car breaks down. Or you have an accident, okay? You're riding down the road, lose control. You know, you hit a tree or whatever. And you get out, and you realize you aren't hurt. You know, you brush off whatever, okay? And you look at your car, you know, smoke's billing up, you know. And you're like, oh, man. And what, do you, what does your heart say? What does it say? God, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you do this to me? I've been following you. I've been such a good girl. I've been such a good boy. I've done everything right. Why'd you do this to me? Listen, that's no different. That's not, that is revealing an idolatry, folks. That is revealing an idolatry. An idolatry that says, God is my errand boy. God does what I want Him to do. And so if I follow His rules, if I do the front end of the formula, He's got to produce health, wealth, success. And it was the message of the Pharisees. And Jesus stepped in, messed with them, and they didn't like it. And they're going to kill Him for it. They're going to take His life over these kinds of things. Now let's see the error here in verse 15. See what Jesus has to say. They ridicule Him. They mock Him. They deride Him. They laugh at Him. Who is this poor man? Look at Him. He's supported by this group of women who walk around with Him. It's obvious God is not blessing Him. He doesn't have a place to lay His head down. There's no way God's behind Him because He has nothing. That's the ridicule of the Pharisees. That's what they're saying. He has no success. He has no wealth. He has no health. Remember as he's on the cross? Do you remember? What'd they say? What'd they say to Jesus? Oh, he was supposed to be God. If he's really God, we'll come down off the cross. Pray that Elijah comes and saves you. Because if you're really serious about God, there's no way that you'd be sick and dying, right? This is their heart. Moving along. Verse 15. And Jesus said to them, He's going to talk first about the lie of self-justification. The lie of self-justification. He says, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. Justify means to declare or to deem to be right. It means to, to make the decision and say, I'm right. So they, they are making the decision about themselves that they are right. This is the desire of all men. All men want to be right. You want to be right. You women, you all, we all want to be right, right? Everybody wants to be right. But what the Pharisees, what their form of self-justification look like is, it looked like this. Look at the success. Look at the prosperity. Therefore, I must be right. That's how they self-justified. If I'm godly, then I'm prosperous. Ah, I see prosperous, then I must be godly. Logically not even true, but it's what they believed. It was an effort to justify themselves. And Jesus said, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. The Lord knows our hearts. 
Make no effort to justify yourself before men. If we're trying to please men, we're not a servant of Christ. I find those that have, those that have, try to self-justify themselves by pointing out the prosperous areas of their life as proof that they're okay. And those that don't have, because a lot of us don't have. So what do you do then? I mean, what if you don't have? How do you justify yourself then? Oh, don't worry. The enemy's got a great way for you to do this. You just blame shift. You just blame shift. If you don't have, okay, so maybe you don't have this great prosperous life. Maybe you don't have, you know, all these things. And so what are you going to do? Oh, my, how am I going to be self-justified? Well, you just blame it. Well, if this were true, if this were true, if this, see, it's not really my fault. But both of those efforts to justify ourselves rob, listen, rob from the glory of God. So he says, for what is exalted among men, what is exalted among men, Either look at my prosperity or hear my excuse. Both efforts to self-justify is an abomination to God. You can't get much stronger than that word. It is to be moved to almost physical sickness. It gags God is what it is. It is a stench. It is disgraceful. It is... The word is used for the activity of the Antichrist, folks. Okay? It's an abomination to God. When man attempts to exalt himself in the sight of God. What we see here is the lie of self-justification that reveals the idol of our heart. And the idol, quite honestly, the idol, it's not even money. It's bigger than money. The idol is not really money. There's an evil idol hiding behind the screen, like the Wizard of Oz, right? And there's big piles of money, but that's not really the idol. You know what it is? Oh, you know what it is, right? Yeah, you know, you want to say it, don't you? You want to say it. The idol is not the money. It's not really the money. It's not even the things we'll buy. It's not the things that it'll buy. No, 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 no. That's not the idol. That's not the idol. That's why we can worship this idol whether we have or we don't have. You can be rich beyond means and still bow to this idol. And you can be poor as a church mouse and still bow to this idol. And it is the idol that robs from the glory of God. You know what it is? It's got four letters. Starts with S, ends with F. The idol of self. The idol of self. I will have my way. I will make my way. I will be the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's me. Abomination. Abomination. Now then Jesus goes into this. Quickly, I want to go through this because, honestly, I want to worship, I want to worship the Lord over the gospel. So we're going to get there. He says, the law and the prophets were until John. He said, you know what? You got the law and the prophets. He's talking to the Pharisees. You guys, you got the Old Testament. You got the schoolmaster that drives you to Christ, Galatians says. The law is like a schoolmaster. It's it's a tutor. And it shows us our needs. He's going to see the truth of God's justification. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. 
John the Baptist, Jesus, others, that are preaching the good news of the gospel. And everyone is forcing their way into it. I love that expression. It's confusing. What does it mean? It's a violent term, okay? It's, it's the word force, and it's, it, it, it's a violent term of, of aggression. People are, and what it means is this. The gospel is so good. The gospel is so good. Not a sugar that makes the medicine go down. It's not that your grandmother's going to be in heaven. I can't wait to meet my grandmother in heaven. It's not that I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I guess that'll be cool. I don't know. I've never done it. It's not that the curse of sin is going to be gone. That's going to be wonderful. I can't wait for it. But the sugar of the gospel is Christ. And when people understand that, they are forcing their way into it. Violently doing what has to to get to Christ. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Violently doing whatever you have to do to get to Christ. So one guy said, hmm, you, pluck out your eye. What? Yeah, and you, cut off your arm. What? And you, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And that man went away. Very sad. You know why? Because he was rich. And what Jesus did in that moment, is he took his great big finger. He reached down and he touched him at that sensitive spot called idolatry. We who have seen the glory of Christ, we who have seen the great truth of who God is, we come to him and we cry out, Adonai, Master, Lord, Owner. Whatever you want, Whatever you need, all that I am, you have it all. And that is a forceful decision. It is not one where I mix sugar in and make it easier to go down. That's not the gospel. Let that man or woman be accursed, Paul says. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void and then to bring home the truth He touches on the secondary. What did I tell you? False teaching always connects to at least two things. Take money and sex. Over and over and over. Look at the Old Testament. False prophets. They did the same thing. Look at the New Testament. False prophets did the same thing. Here's here's the deal on the marriage thing. Let Let me just deal with this quickly. The Pharisees had taken Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1. They said, if you're going to divorce a woman, give her a, give her a certificate of divorce. And they had twisted that and made that a, a little loophole, actually a giant loophole, so that literally what, what, what religious people in that day would do is that they found anything that they deemed indecent. That's what Deuteronomy 24.1 says. If she is indecent, and it's actually a sexual term, okay, it, it really means it's connected to prostitution. But if she is found to be indecent, that what they did is they took that word indecent and they stretched it violently. They stretched it to mean anything they wanted it to mean. Anything they wanted it to mean. To where they even had, they had these, you know, they have all these laws written down. And then one of them was this. I found this one just very, very interesting. 
If you find your wife to be brash, you may divorce her. You know what brash meant? Brash meant that when she speaks inside your house, your neighbor could hear it. So if my wife says to me, get your own iced tea, she would never say that. And I would never ask for iced tea like that. But if she says it to me and my neighbor hears it, you're out of here, woman. And women in that day had no rights. You divorce her. She's homeless on the street, likely prostitution. And so what the Pharisees would do to feed their sexual appetite is they would jump from woman to woman to woman. I find you indecent. Why? I don't know. You're ugly. I find you indecent. Why? You're loud. I find you indecent. Why? I just don't like you. And they would jump from woman to woman to woman to woman. And I'm okay. Because I gave a certificate of divorce. I mean, there's stories of religious people coming to a prostitute and saying, because all I need is two witnesses. Hey, we are married. We're married now, okay? Okay, deal. You heard that, guys? All right, let's go. And then they're okay. And they're not okay. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you are messing with the law. Listen, the gospel is good news to the needy. It is good news to the needy. You and I are needy people. It's time to stop trying to justify. Quit trying to justify yourself. Don't look for fruit to prove to yourself that you're okay. I mean, after all, I got this promotion. I mean, after all, I'm so good with people. I mean, after all, I'm doing this thing in ministry. I must be okay, right, God? Stop trying to justify and be needy. Stop trying to give excuses of why your need isn't really your fault and be needy. The gospel is great news to the needy. Do you need Christ today? I don't mean do you need to get saved today for the first time and all. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying as a believer in Jesus, do you recognize your need today? Once you're saved, you're always saved. But my need never goes away. And I feel it more and more all the time. Let's talk to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I do ask your presence, Lord. I pray you be real to us now. God, we need you greatly. We need you every hour. Lord, you knew that. You knew that when you made us. But Lord, you chose in your divine will to create people who would be needy, who you could redeem for your glory. Lord, that is us. Father, protect us from the idols that offer us justification. Protect us from the idols that that seem to say we're okay. Lord, instead we want to turn to you the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus, when He was instructing us of how to follow Him, He did all kinds of teaching. He shared a great amount of teaching. But one of the things that He taught the disciples is that when you come together as needy people, 
when you come together as needy people, that you should worship Him through remembering His death and remembering His resurrection. Now, we call it communion. There's nothing strange about it. It's just an opportunity for us to remember what Christ did. So here's how we do it at Centerpoint. In a moment, we'll, we'll have a word of prayer. We'll thank the Lord for His broken body. He died for us. His spilt blood that He shed on our behalf. We'll thank the Lord for that. And then we all go to the four corners of the room here. Grab some bread. Grab some juice. Come back to your seat. And listen, as you sit there today, we'll have some time. I want you to reflect upon your need. Reflect upon your need. Be moved in your heart for how much God has done in our life. And then we'll all partake together. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for your finished work on the cross. There's nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to perfect it. It's finished. We come to you, Lord, as needy people, needing your forgiveness, needing your presence, needing you every day. God, protect us from the idols that call for our attention. Thank you, Lord, for dying in our place. Lord, now we want to worship you. We want to worship you just through remembering your broken body and your spilt blood. Receive this, we pray, in Jesus' name.